0: What's going on, beautiful people? Welcome back to the Move Local podcast, brought to you by The Movement. My name is Dalton, and alongside me today is my wonderful co-host, William. Will, how are we doing today?
1: Well, I thought you were going to say uh, beautifully bearded, but you can't really see my beard right now.
0: I can't. <laughs> and you shaved your beard, so it's not as beautiful as it once was. Oh. It is getting. It is growing back, though. <laughs> my beard is coming in nicely, as, is. You, as you saw.
1: I'm impressed, but you know, it it is a good day today, it's so nice out for where we are in the season, so I've already been on like a couple walks, both trips to get coffee, so never a bad thing, Uh, was just at Cafe Domestique, Mm. in their new space, which is amazing.
0: Yeah, 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 it's a beautiful Friday, we're down, we're down a host, Don is not with us today, so you won't be hearing his voice, but that's okay, we have a wonderful guest on the podcast today. Um, We have our youngest, our youngest interview so far. Um, On the podcast today we have Leif Friedman. Um, He is the creator of Licked Media um, and he has all sorts of fun things that we're going to dive in today. So Leif, welcome to the show. Thank you. How is your day going so far? It's
2: pretty good. Uh, Day off school. Yeah. Nice out and you know, just get to come on the podcast that's gonna be fun have you done a podcast before i have not no.
0: nice first experience
2: but i do listen to a lot of podcasts cool so yeah fun, fun experience i think
0: yeah definitely we're about to we're about to make your your fun experience the, the thing you want <laughs> <laughs> um so why don't we kick it off and why don't you just start by telling a little bit about yourself like who you are some fun facts about you
2: all right well uh i'm leaf i uh Still in high school for now, Try, trying to finish, a <laughs> few, few more few, few, more months left, uh, grade 12. Uh, I love cooking. That's pretty much consumed the majority of my life uh, and even Lick Media, which we'll talk about, is kind of centered around food. Uh, Pre-COVID, I've spent a lot of time working in different restaurants, uh, you know, kind of all over Canada various places and yeah I think that's probably like the main focus I also play a lot of music was previously in a band uh, until t- cooking kind of took over um yeah I think that's kind of like rough summary live here in Dundas uh, Ontario and
0: yeah yeah and I, I know cooking was a big part of like who you are like when we first met and, and talked and I think the first time I came across you was on Instagram. Um, okay. through Instagram. Through Lick Media, you were talking about your cereal. We had kind of DM'd each other, and then you came here and we chatted. And then you were in site school, which obviously we have, we've been working yeah. with site school, so we've gotten to know each other a little bit more um, through that. But what I wanted to hear more about is like that passion for food. Like How did that start was it always been there? Or is it something that just came along? How's that, how's that going?
2: Well, on? I mean, you kind of, I think, have to go back uh, a few generations. My great-grandparents, uh, both Holocaust survivors from Hungary, came here and started, I, I think they owned like a fruit and vegetable store back there, but they started a chicken factory. I think like my great-grandfather had gone to a chicken farm and thought they were cute. And so somehow that led to killing chickens. I'm not really sure how the trajectory (laughs) went there. But, you know, so he started selling them door to door to restaurants. um, And slowly it kind of grew from there. And he got in a fight with the guy he was working for. So he's like, I'm going to open my own chicken kind of store And it was actually now a gas station in Montreal that was this chicken factory. And there were so many feathers just, like, blowing out all over the city that the city actually evicted them, like, from (laughs) Montreal. So they moved into, like, this kind of more rural factory. And there was kind of three where they were growing chickens, killing them, and then processing them into all these products. So there was a lot of kind of, like spirit of food innovation my dad kind of describes it as like once a week like there would just be like chicken products laid out everywhere like <laughs> testing them and eventually two out of those three factories like had to close and they kind of just went into manufacturing but maybe you know like the dino buddy uh which is like a dinosaur shaped chicken nugget oh yeah, yeah that yeah. was like my grandfather who oh wow. no way created that so That's i think like awesome. it goes back there's like a strong tied to food both my uncles own a restaurant Uh, my dad taught cooking lessons for a while and it's like food is kind of like the extreme in terms of kind of everything um you know like there's also like a huge uh issue with like obesity on my dad's side of the family and like overeating and like you have to understand like i'd skype my grandfather and he'd have, like, a suckling pig on his bed. Like, I, I'm not even kidding, and he's just on Skype. And then I'm like, you bought a whole suckling pig? And he's like, no, I bought four. <laughs> I'm like, where are the other three? He's like, well, I gave one to my housekeeper, and uh, Johnny's eating one downstairs, and I got one here, and one's for uh, your grandmother. It's like, So there was, like, always things like that. I remember, like, I was maybe, like, 10 and my uncle like took me into the garage and he's like had all these like lamb heads he was cooking and like he's just like throwing like he's like g- past me this like lamb head with like the eyes staring up at me and he's like okay and then he takes like this massive bucket of seasoning kind of like dumps it on top and so there was always like I was kind of like intrigued I went into their restaurant a lot um and kind of like go around helping my uncle with things and I think like it started to kind of grow from there uh, and even like when we'd go to the grocery store it was like if we went to a new grocery store we'd walk up and down every single aisle of the grocery store and just like reading like every single product like my dad would be reading and like talking to me about it. and I remember like there was times when I'm like I'm going to like why, why are we here we've been here for five hours <laughs> but like I think it, it actually like I, I was learning a lot about food from a pretty young age and yeah kind of like just continued to develop in that way uh just getting more and more extreme we actually just uh raised a bunch of heirloom chickens in our backyard and now I'm dry aging them in our fridge wow um so you know we have some for eggs but the roosters were too loud so we killed them all and like I'm aging them and trying to so like I think like I don't know that's interesting. My grandfather would have liked to see that. I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> um. He would have screamed at me over Skype, telling me I was probably doing it wrong. But yeah. So kind of, I think, from there, I started hosting dinners like for my parents' friends. Maybe when I was about like ten or eleven. And yeah, I think like I was probably like around that age. Um, I I kind of just. I'm not even sure like how the first one came about but I was just getting more interested in cooking and my parents are like oh we'll invite our friends over and you can cook but then I ended up like just like spending weeks like testing dishes and so like eventually people were like oh we should be paying for this so then I kind of started this eating club and at first like I think actually the first one we did I tapped maple trees and it was like this sugaring off event where there was like 24 people who were each paying like Sixty-five dollars. I think I was, like, 12. And <laughs> wow. basically, like, we turned my house into a restaurant. Like, it was, like, crazy. Yeah. Like, people were there, like, early in the morning, like, starting to, like, prep. Like, there was, like, I had, like, all my friends, like, serving. And, like, I, like, got, like, aprons. And I was, like, okay, you do this. And, like, we had, like, chit systems. And, like, it was, like... I don't know how my parents let me do that like there was just such a big mess afterwards like it was honestly craziness but and then it kind of just kept growing so like from there I was like okay now I'm gonna do this dinner and we're gonna like do a course in the forest here and we're gonna forage for this thing and it kind of like accumulated and then I started doing like some private ones so I went and did like this kind of crazy Christmas dinner in Toronto for like this kind of group of people. And then, like, they all wanted to come to my thing. So then I did one, actually, a detour. My parents uh, are one of the owners there. So after they closed, we kind of turned that into a restaurant and did an event there. And so that kind of, like, kept growing. And at the same time that I was doing that, I got, I think, my first job in a kitchen, maybe when I was, like, in grade 8 or 9, um, a restaurant called Batula in Dundas. And I had eaten there a few times and, like, kind of talked to the chef. But I remember going in, like, I brought them a resume. And I was like, I just want to work for free. And he kind of, like, I remember going back, like, in a few days and, like, waiting there at the bar. And he, like, comes and sits down next to me. And he's like, so, like, what do you think you're going to do? <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know, anything. Like, just let me work here. Um, so, like, I got to do a trial shift. And I remember, actually... I had gone Friday night into Toronto, because I had to, like, I was doing a dinner there, and I had to, I don't know if I was doing, like, a tasting for them, or, like, some kind of meeting, so I did that, and then I slept over at a friend's house, and then I came back, and then I remember, like, my first day of work, like, coming on the go train, and I was, like, stressed, because I was going to be late, but anyways, I started working there and like they're like oh yeah sure like you can come work for free you're semi useful (laughs) (laughs) um and then I think I spent like about a year there and then once they kind of like started paying me uh they they kind of like I I did like get an actual job but then I got an opportunity to go work at Quattrofoil which is another restaurant uh, in Dundas And again, like, I kind of walked in there, and I was like, can I just work for free? And I remember them being like, okay, after Christmas, you can come. So I started working there, um, and that was, like, just over, I think that was two years ago now, actually, almost, um, that I started working there. And that was, like, kind of, I mean, like, I learned a lot also at Petula, but Quatrefoil was kind of, like, a higher end, like, there was more people in the kitchen, It was, like, I I just learned a ton, um, and it was kind of, like, another level of cooking. Um, And then, so that summer, again, I was, like, okay, I want to, like, go work somewhere else. So I actually, my grandmother, who lives in Montreal, I really wanted to work in Montreal for the summer. So I kind of, like, picked the three restaurants that I, like, really wanted to work at, and I just, like, started cold calling them, Mean like, can I work for free? (laughs) And I remember, like, I reached, like, the one place I really wanted to work was called Joe Beef. Um, And so I kind of just, like, remember calling, and, like, for some reason, like, one of the waitresses I reached, like, was, like, having trouble understanding me. I think, like, she was, like, speaking French, and I was like, no, I want to, like, work in the kitchen anyways. So, like, they're like, oh, come for a trial shift. So I kind of, like, went to Montreal hoping, like, okay, if I don't, get the stage here i'm just gonna like go wander around montreal until someone lets me work for them (laughs) um but then like the chef was like okay leaf are you coming back tomorrow and i'm like yes so (laughs) i spent about a month working there uh and that was kind of like the most insane restaurant that i have spent time in it's just kind of Like, it's become a bit of an institution at this point, but just the people that I met, the food that they were kind of creating there, and I mean, like, it was also extremely stressful. Like, I don't think I've ever been that stressed (laughs) in my life, Um, but it was kind of, you know, like, it just, like, this incredible experience, like, getting there, and I mean, like, you wouldn't, like, eat from, like, 10 in the morning to, like, 2 at night, which is kind of, like, how it works in Montreal. And then, like, you, would kind of just have, like, these amazing, like, staff dinners at the end where everyone was kind of just, like, they'd make me, like, homemade lasagna that some guy met and, like, all these, like, leftover wines, which, like, I mean, I was under the drinking age, so (laughs) I didn't get them. But, like, there was just kind of this, like, incredible culture there, like, incredible music being played. And, like, I just learned so much about cooking. And they were kind of so busy That for the first week, I just, like, kind of stayed in the basement. But then they kind of just needed help. So they gave me, like, this back station to run. And then they were, like, kind of, like, each day it was, like, okay, you're going to do a bit more. Like, okay, you're going to prep. And then it's, like, okay, do you have your order list? And I was, like, I've never made an order list. And they're, like, just look in the fridge. Tell us what you need for tomorrow. And so, like, it was kind of, like, the first time that I was working also, like, full time somewhere. So I was just, like, much more involved in, like, the meetings and kind of, like, the whole flow of the restaurant so that was like insane opportunity um and then i actually at site which is where i go to school in dundas it's kind of this montessori school that doesn't have a building and we kind of learn immersified in different environments you guys are involved with our physical kind of education um they had this kind of like co-op opportunity so Kind of again, I was like, okay, I want to work at this restaurant in Toronto called Aloe, um, which is a pretty fancy, like, French restaurant that's kind of, like, on the top floor of, like, this building in Chinatown. Um, and so I did actually, like, know someone who knew the chef, so he kind of, like, introed me. Uh, and then they are like, yeah, you can come do a stage here. So I got a school credit and spent two weeks there. Uh, and that was a very different experience from Joe Beef, which is kind of the, like, very, like, they're kind of, like, it's, like, the pirate ship of restaurants. Like, everything is kind of, like, being hacked together. Things are breaking. Like, it's just, like, full capacity, loud music. You know, you'd be, like, prepping on the patio outdoors with, like... A, rock music playing and there was like this massive smoker and it was like all these farmers coming in it was just very like you know alive and aloe like the kitchen silent everyone's like yes chef you're like wearing full whites like it's very organized it's like overstaffed almost and it's like just very like precise and linear um but also like both restaurants serving very different food but a very you know, unique vision and incredible cooking. So I think, like, all of that. And then, I mean, a few months later, we get to COVID. Since then, I haven't been working in restaurants. Uh, But all of kind of those places. And I did spend, like, a bit of time, like, doing brief stages in some other restaurants and working in, like, a few places. Uh, But those were kind of, like, the main restaurants I worked in. And... Yeah, it's just kind of, like, a very addicting and incredible, like, community of people that you find yourself in, and it's kind of, like, you know, you, you, there's so much to learn, like, that you'll never learn it, so it's kind of, like, constantly, like, Keeps you just, chasing. like, chasing and yeah. fighting for the next thing. Um, the cool thing, the cool yeah. thing,
0: yeah, no, I think that's that's, it's amazing to hear the story, like, going all the way back to, it's been in your family forever, obviously, right? Yeah. And I think it's cool. It was cool for, for me to hear the whole process, like, all those things. The one thing that I'm super interested in asking you about mm-hmm. is, like, being so young, you know, like, what... This is
1: not what most uh, Yeah. You
0: know, like, people your age are doing. When I first, <laughs> when I first yeah. talked to you a while back, like, I was already mm-hmm. amazed by everything you were doing and then again hearing more of the story it's great but the one thing i want to know is like what what made you want to go out and do that like you know you're doing things that people that are our age still don't do they're like i don't have a job well how do i get a job it's like well you go and do what you just talked about you go and cold call places or you put yourself out there or you say you're going to work for free or you pursue the the process of getting to the end result of getting your job in montreal right like Mm-hmm. What made you want to do that? Like, is that just something your parents pushed you pushed you towards? Or is just kind of in you? Like, what's that?
2: I mean, my parents definitely didn't push me at all. I would say that, like, I did have a lot of privilege in being able to do it. And so, like, I think part of it is that. Like, I, my parents took me to eat in really incredible restaurants, which was another, like... You know like we also had those like dinner parties with like massive like amounts of food with like my grandparents and great-grandparents although they were getting older I got a bit of that um but you know my dad like really did like take me to like really incredible restaurants that I think like a lot of people would have said like why are you taking a young kid to that like they're not going to appreciate that but like I do have like memories of being very young and like going into kitchens and like not all of them were fancy, like, some of them, even, like, I remember going to a Chinese restaurant that was near our house, and, you know, like, walking into the kitchen, and just, like, staying there for, like, half an hour until they kicked me out, and being, like, leaving, and being like, why don't they just, like, have the kitchen in the restaurant? So, like, I was very exposed to it, um, and definitely, even in, like, my opportunity to work, like, you know, my parents were very, like, if you get a job somewhere, like, we'll help you, you know, like, we'll get you like a train ticket or a plane ticket to get there. Like, you know, right. like they were really like, they're this supportive is, like, on that. Yeah. Act. They yeah. like, they had the financial opportunity to help me. And were very supportive, even in like, you know, doing a dinner party. They're like, we'll buy food and you cook for our friends. So like, there was a lot of that. I think from like a perspective of like, I, I'm not entirely sure what, motivated me to do it i just think like from a very young age like i just wanted it badly yeah and i think also like i have to definitely give some credit to strata which is like the school younger than site. they kind of had this cafe which gave me a lot of opportunity to like start kind of like learning how to run essentially it was like a cafe and then we tried to like turn it into more of like a restaurant breakfast restaurant where we were actually like cooking and so like that allowed me to like okay how do we like build an order system and train the other kids to cook and then like so that and then i started like being able to do things like okay we're gonna go like forage ramps which grew right outside the school and like i'm gonna do this special and then like some kids who are into woodworking like built us a custom plate for it so like there was a lot of like privilege and opportunity but i think You know, like, I just saw what it was like in, like, you know, really amazing restaurants that I'd been taken to and even the level of cooking that my dad had and my uncles had, and I kind of just wanted it. Yeah. And I think also maybe was, like, somewhat encouraged, even, like, I think probably, like, another good story is, I, I actually forgot about this until right now, but I think I was maybe, like, in grade four, And someone was like, I wonder what snails taste like. And we were supposed to bring in, like, birthday cakes. So I was like, well, they asked me what snails taste like. Maybe I should bring in snails. So I bought, like, snails from Chinatown. (laughs) because like, I didn't want to spend too much on the snails. Um, And then I, like, made this, like, just, like, kind of like a classic French, like, garlic butter dish. And I remember bringing it into school. Uh, I think it was, like, partially cooked, maybe. And I was, like, to my teacher, like, can I go down to, like, the staff room to put it in the fridge? And she's, like, oh, no, it doesn't need to go in the fridge. And I was, like, no, I'm pretty sure it does. And she's, like, no, 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 you don't need to put it in the fridge. And let's just say everyone got food poisoning. Oh, no. (laughs) And I don't think people from my class enjoy snails so much. That's hilarious. But I think, like, there definitely was, like, Oh, like, my friends would come over, and I was cook, and, like, there was kind of, like, encouragement, like, from...
0: You got that feedback. Yeah,
2: and I think I even remember, like, I did this project on, like, Persia in grade 5, and, like, I stayed up, like, really late the night before, like, cooking this, like, massive Persian meal. And, like, I remember my dad coming home from work and helping me. And so, like, definitely there was, like, oh, like, this is good. Can you cook us more food? So, like, I think... I was encouraged and told, like, oh, like, by my friends. Like, oh, this is delicious, this is or my parents' yeah. friends. Like, oh, you're good at cooking. So I was like, oh, okay, I'll cook we'll more. will just keep doing it, yeah. Um, But definitely, like, I, I think I was just, like, exposed to it and just had a lot of passion for it and really wanted it.
0: Yeah. And is that kind of what led you to the whole linked media and what you're kind of going down now?
2: Well, I think, so, like, the previous kind of, like, eating club I had, Was very catered towards I mean at the end it wasn't just my parents friends like I kind of branched out but it was much like more like millennials who could spend $125 or more on like you know a 10 course meal and like a wine pairing and I kind of wanted to take that you know like cooking experience and passion i had and connect with more people my age and i kind of while there is something like very beautiful about high-end dining and the experiences that surround it and the care that goes into it there's like a big disconnect as well and you know like you walk out of like a restaurant where you just spent like 14 hours kind of like creating this very specialized meal for someone who just paid like $400 to come eat there and there's like a homeless guy outside the restaurant who like didn't even eat dinner Mm. and it's kind of like so I think there's like a few things partially I wanted it to like connect more to people my age I want it to kind of like be able to give back a bit more and I think there are lots of fine dining restaurants that have done that but I just felt like yeah there was a bit of a disconnect and it wasn't like exactly what I wanted to be doing at that time I wanted it to kind of like be more fun useful like kind of you know like a bit of a just like no we're not going to do it like that you know like we're going to kind of like make cereal, cereal for other liquids yeah. and like you know what like go go eat somewhere else if you don't like it like this is what we're going to do yeah um so yeah i think like that was kind of like where it came from uh and at first it was like almost more of like i'm already kind of like creating a lot of like food content and pictures and like cooking and like i'll just kind of like but i don't want to have like just like a personal brand that's called like leaf. So I was like, Oh, I'll make like a brand. Yeah. And then I'll like get other people involved and we'll start doing like pop ups. Um, and then, you know, like it could be connected with artists and musicians and other chefs. Uh, then COVID came kind of simultaneously. I had this idea and I was kind of like in my friend's basement and I was like, wait, why do people just eat? cereal with milk it's a fair question (laughs) and so there are some actual reasons (laughs) um you know like the texture of milk allows cereal to stay crunchy for longer okay you know it's a very neutral flavor so it works well with most things you know most people like it it's kind of like so so there's some reasons but i was still like kind of not convinced i was like i'm pretty sure i can like make it stay crunchy without it so i was like okay like what am i gonna like i was like if it's not gonna be in kind of milk like what could i put it in and then i was like kind of went to like the furthest extreme i was like you know what like screw everyone i'm making cereal for wine (laughs) and so i was like okay what goes well with wine i was like Okay, well, since you're, like, kind of changing the consumption format a lot, you can't confuse people too much. So I'll do, like, kind of really classic things. So I started experimenting with doing kind of, like, a dark chocolate, which goes with, like, most red wines, and then, like, cheese varieties. But then again, I kind of came to the point where I was, like, wine isn't, like, really connecting with, like, the people I want to connect with. And there's also, you know... Like, maybe it works for a canned wine, but it might not work for, like, an actual really, like, exquisite wine. So I was like, okay, what if I made cereal for beer? Um, And then I was like, okay, what's, like, the classic beer combination? And I was like, okay, pretzels. So I'm like, I'll make sourdough pretzel cereal for beer. (laughs) And so, like, I started experimenting with that. And this was kind of, like, all once, like, the COVID lockdown had started. Um, And that was actually pretty good. But, again, like, there's a lot of differences with beer. One of, like, the things I started to realize, I was like, okay, well, like, milk in Texas, Canada, and China tastes the same or very similar. Right. You know, so I can make the same cereal, and it'll be good no matter what. But, like, what if someone pours in, like, an IPA? Or what if it has a lot of hops? Or, like, what if it's really creamy? And then it becomes complicated suddenly, and it's hard to make something that fits with everything. So then I was like, okay, let me, like, take a step further, and I'll get to beer, but, like, what if I just start with coffee? It's kind of like the morning, you can combine cereal and coffee. And I was like, okay, that could actually work. So I started experimenting, giving it to my friends to taste, and kind of spent... And while I was doing that, I did do some, like, other kind of pop-up things uh, with Licked, and, like, a few just different collabs. Uh some of my friends and local people and what I kind of started to develop was this like toast shaped cereal and I was like you know what I'm not gonna make it healthy like I'm just gonna make this like the most decadent delicious thing ever and so it kind of had butter in it and like these like really great artisanal flowers but then when I started to realize I was like wait butter goes bad I'm like oh no so then like I started like getting in contact with all these food scientists and they were shipping me like these natural things to make it stay good. And then like, we were kind of trying to figure that out. And then I was like, well, how do I make more of this? So like, as I'm kind of like doing all this, developing the recipe, I'm like, well, what flavors do people want? And I kind of thought back to like my uncles who were Jews and then became Sufis, which is like a branch of Islam. That's another podcast uh, by itself. but they drink a lot of Turkish coffee and I was like you know I really like Turkish coffee what if I kind of like flavored the cereal with like cardamom and cinnamon and these very like floral but and I mean cardamom is a bit overpowering which later became an issue again but um, I was like maybe the coffee will actually taste like Turkish coffee after you you're kind of done eating the cereal and you can drink it yeah so that was kind of that idea. Turns out a lot of people don't like cardamom, which I kind of was in denial about. Uh, <laughs> so anyways, like, this is kind of taken me, like, a few months to develop, and then I'm trying to figure out what vessel to put it in. And so I have all these samples coming from Alibaba, and then I'm trying to find a designer... But, like, all these designers want, like, so much money. And I was like, I can't, like, I don't really have the justification to spend this. Like, that's, like, all my money on this design service. So, like, it's, like, 2 in the morning. I was like, I need to just get this out. So I take, like, a picture of this, like, really obnoxious-looking kid (laughs) eating cereal. And I just put it on there. We have
0: the cereal here in
1: person. I thought maybe it was you on the... Yeah, Yeah, people keep saying (laughs) that.
2: I mean... I, I guess they'll take well, that. As we'll a have to throw a, as picture. a little child we'll have could to throw have been a picture cereal. Uh, yeah, but, but yeah. so I was kind of like, you know what? And then, like the original label literally just was the picture of the kid in black and white. It said cereal not for milk or I think it was like cereal not for milk, yeah. cereal for cold coffee. Yeah. And now it there's a version that's also I kind of adapted it to work in hot coffee as well. Cool. And then on the other side, I was just like fuck designers millennials i was just like so frustrated that like i couldn't get this done i was like fuck designers millennials healthy food like and it was like a bit angsty so later i was like okay maybe that's a bit Tone it like, down I, a little I, bit i want to I <laughs> spread love not not anger but then i actually went to domestique uh chris and kendra i think they were also on the podcast yeah and i was like i got this idea um it's cereal for coffee, and they kind of, you know, like weird things, and they're like, sure, we'll, 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 we'll get it on that. Ooh, this smells so good. Dude, we should let's let's dive in. Keep okay. going, but let's okay, try. Yeah. It. We're take, gonna do.
0: Yeah, take us through it. We're like, gonna do a live sort of. a live taste test.
2: Yeah. So basically, it's a toast shaped cereal, kind of inspired a bit by cinnamon toast crunch, which is the greatest Amazing. cereal ever invented, in my opinion, after Lick cereal, um, <laughs> greatest milk based cereal, and yeah so it's kind of sweetened with organic cane sugar uh, maple syrup there's cinnamon cardamom vanilla extract two flowers that are milled in quebec um and it's kind of designed to be able to pour coffee into uh which started as cold coffee but then people just kind of started eating it with hot coffee and i was like hey maybe like we can eat it with hot coffee too um oh yes so anyways, they're trying it right now. And just is, pour it in. This yeah, is coffee just pour it in. From Domestique. From Domestique. Yep. And I think they did AeroPress brew. Uh, this is amazing.
0: Just, just so you know, this like collaborates like two of my all-time favorite things. Like yeah, that's, I, that's good. I cool. absolutely love cereal. and awesome? Uh, yeah. I sure. absolutely love coffee. Now do we have to That's let good. do we have to let it sit a little uh, bit? Is that we like let it soak in a little? Uh, or can probably we... not
2: because as you eat it, it will kind of looks good.
1: All right, I'm diving in. It smells good too.
2: So I mean, it does stay crispier for longer in cold cereal, but mm. in both formats, kind of was designed to stay crispy for as long as possible because you don't have kind of the milk Mm addition.
1: What about these flavors? Like, why why'd you choose, like, these flavors? Well,
2: these are not the flavors I should have chosen. (laughs) I'm just going (laughs) to say that. Um, I should have done a fruit flavor, which I later developed. But what kind of happened is people really liked it. It was kind of this novel thing that Chris and Kendra started selling at Domestique Um, and then actually my dad is also in the coffee industry with Detour and I didn't sell it there at the start because I was like you know I want to learn like I want to have to go sell it myself and just Mm -hmm. get you know go through that process Um, but someone he knew who knew someone else actually like came by our house and he owns this amazing cafe in montreal which i'd actually been to was right near joe beef and i was out of the house but i was like just give him this like when he comes by and he texts me like over instagram the next morning and he's like can i buy this like for cordova which is his cafe and i was like for sure um so that was kind of like the second cafe and anthony is like super great guy um amazing cafe like honestly the stuff they're doing like is just incredible maybe the best coffee i've ever had there in terms of check
0: it out if we're ever there
2: yeah like in terms of like just the the quality of like the baristas like they've just like got it down um so they kind of start selling it there um but then like what starts to happen and i actually went down for a weekend and we did a little launch party and I gave out like a ton of samples. And so like, that was again, like a really great experience and people really seemed to like it, but it was really hard to make. Um, so kind of like instead of saying like, Oh, this is a good idea. Can this be a good business? I was just like, Oh, this is a good idea. People like it. I'm going to make it. Um, but I was kind of rolling out the cereal on this little pasta machine which was, like, a nightmare, and making it in Strata, which was my old school because there's a licensed kitchen. And, like, all my friends were helping me, so I didn't have to pay labor. But, like, (laughs) the first shipment I sent to Anthony, four cases, and we actually made five, took us, like, six and a half hours (laughs) to make, like, $130, like, wholesale worth of cereal. And that was before paying food costs. So, like, I was like, this isn't going to work. So I was like, okay, how do I like optimize this production? And I kind of then, it's hard to eat and talk. But, uh,
1: can oh. I just say this tastes so good? Like, yeah, let, give, give, give me the, the uh, yeah, thing. Will inhaled it.
0: Give me your, give me your review. Oh, yeah, honest good. review. Like
1: it, the cereal is crunchy.
0: Yeah, the crunch is really good.
1: And the flavors go really well with the coffee. I, I agree. And then the cool thing is after you finish it, you can just drink the rest of the coffee. Kind of like you would with like milk and cereal. Exactly. I
2: can
0: definitely mm-hmm. taste the the cardamom, mm-hmm. which is something I haven't experienced a lot of, but I don't I don't mind it. I think it goes goes well. Yeah, it
2: does definitely go with coffee. It's a very floral flavor mm-hmm. that's used a lot in the Middle East. Um, it's not something that, in kind of like Western food culture, people generally like as much. Right. It is and can be a very strong flavor. But, I mean, for people who can't see it, it's kind of in, like, little jars. Uh, And, like, the idea was that, like, you could kind of go to a cafe and pour the coffee kind of in and then eat it there. And it was like, how do we make this as easy for the cafe as possible so that they don't have to, like, portion it, the brands on it, they're not putting it in a bowl. um, And you can kind of eat it out of this jar and then, you know, like, recycle it um, or kind of reuse it. But yeah so it kind of started to become hard to make so i went to the kitchen collective in hamilton where they have like this dough sheeter and someone a friend of a friend knew someone who would actually it's not owned by the collective but she bought this like really beautiful dough sheeter which basically flattens dough um and she's like yeah i'll rent it to you if you become a member here so i was like oh i'll become a member here And I was kind of like mapping it out and I was like, okay, I think I can like with this kind of like bigger oven, you know, bigger mixer. I was also like mixing it in this tiny little like mixer that I have to do like a million batches. Starting to get more shelf stability, working like with this kind of food scientist um, from this preservation company. So I was like, okay, this could work. And I was actually like about to send the money from like, to pay for, like, the joining fee. And for some reason, like, it, like, denied my credit card. So I was like, oh, I'll do it tomorrow. And then I was talking to my dad, and he's like, are you sure this could work? So I kind of, like, went back and, like, just created, like, some Excel models to try and, like, really understand it. And basically, I determined that even if I could get, like, my labor costs lower there wasn't like enough incentive which was another problem for the cafes like if i was buying it for three dollars and selling it for you know sorry if they were buying it for three and selling it for four it wasn't really like they'd rather sell the croissant that's next to it because they make more money on it so kind of like all these kind of factors came together and i was like i kind of had a plan to start putting it in actually like paper coffee cups that i'd seal almost like bubble tea so i could ship them it was lighter i didn't have to apply labels by hand they were much cheaper than glass jars so like i did kind of have these plans to optimize it but what ultimately came about is like i either need to like find a factory to manufacture this so like the scale can lower the cost right or like it doesn't really work and then I started to realize that even if I went to a factory, it might not work. Yeah. So this was kind of the thing where I was like, it was only in two cafes, but I was getting really good feedback. I had a few more cafes that were interested and I kind of had two friends who were going to help me do sales. I was kind of starting to like accumulate people that were going to help me like grow this. Um, And then I was kind of like, I don't think I can do this anymore. Which was, like, a bit hard because I was, like, oh, I just spent so long, like, yeah. developing this. And what then, like, became harder is that, you know, like, the people that were eating were, like, no, like, I don't want you to stop making it. <laughs> I was, like, well, I appreciate that, but I Gold can't. Uh, yeah, like, <laughs> it was kind of, like, you know, between, like, all the costs of doing this, it was just, like, not making sense. So... That's kind of where we got to.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. I mean, it sounds like a process, and I'm sure you learned a lot. Um, I think
1: that's the biggest thing, probably. You yeah. Know, like, even, like, first of all, it's amazing that you even were able to produce this and, like, to come to something that really does taste good and is a unique idea. But probably, like, the process of learning all those things and taking those lessons at this point, like, just because this may not work on a large production scale. Yeah. Uh, you probably I'm sure you learned a lot where you could take these forward and who knows what'll come from that in the future. Yeah,
2: no, 100% like I learned so much and I'm now working on a few other products and I'm going to see which one kind of comes to the surface, but definitely I have a much stronger idea of what I want it to be like, you know, I really want something that you know just won't be done by another big food company i think there's a lot of really innovative people in you know the consumer packaged good world and the restaurant world um but i think a lot of like the brands that like come out now that are kind of like targeted towards millennials like they might be good ideas and like they're great products and people will buy them But, like, I think as a 17-year-old, I find, like, a lot of these products, like, are just a bit boring. Like, I I get why they exist, and they should exist, and they're great, but it's, like, they kind of all, like, are starting to look the same, and, like, they're for the same people. And it's, like, you almost see, like, I don't know, probably once a week, like, on Instagram, I see, like, a new food, like, packaged food startup. And I was, like, you know it's going to be successful, like, if they play it right, because, like, you kind of, like, see it. But I feel like that's, like, Almost, like, losing, like, the fun. Like, there should be edge. Like, there should be a chance that, like, it's not going to work. Well, it and takes I, like, out the
0: creativity and the passion that you're describing, that you've described over the course of this podcast, I think, you know?
2: Yeah. You know, like, I kind of am okay making something that is going to piss some people off and say you can't do that. <sighs> and, frankly, like, I'm 17, so I can take that risk. And, yeah, you know, like, <laughs> what funny. do I have to lose? Do it now. <laughs> so the cereal... There is an exciting thing. It will probably come back in a slightly different form, sold by someone else, which I can't talk about yet. But I did some kind of took the skills of actually making it and did some R and D work for someone else who is trying to launch cool. a cereal.
0: That's exciting stuff. Yeah. So
2: there might be a similar cereal one day, um, but in the meantime, there will definitely be other licked products and experimenting with things currently and excited to like kind of take this and be like okay now like I learned a lot that doesn't mean that like I won't do other things that don't end up perfectly yeah. um but I think definitely now like I I have a, I I think it will yeah it was just a valuable opportunity kind of yeah. like the past yeah. six eight months um and yeah, that's yeah. great. Yeah. Now, now it's it's time for something, <laughs> <you> know, <that laughs> something new with that. Hopefully, doesn't lose money.
0: <laughs> um, quick question. Last yeah, one to wrap up. Yeah, for sure. What uh, What does it mean to move local to you?
2: You know, I think there's like the obvious things, like if you have the privilege and opportunity to, you know, like buy from a local store and you know support local businesses than you should but i think like there's another thing that you know like outside of lowering our carbon footprint and you know like all those things that i kind of like think a lot of progressive people are like on the same page about i think there's kind of like almost a responsibility of like people who like business owners restaurants to like bring something else to like their community that's like maybe different and intriguing and i think like that's what actually makes like local places special it's like kind of you know like there's this grocery store that i think is kind of like interesting it's called pop-up grocer um and it has a lot of these kind of like millennialish food brands that we talked about but it's an interesting model because it kind of travels around so far only the states and you know like people were asking her at the start like oh like are you sourcing local products because i feel like that's like the first question like if you're going to spend money it's like oh is it local and it's like no it's actually about taking all these things that you can't experience in your community and bringing them to you (laughs) and so i think like there's something just interesting about saying like if you don't want people to like increase their environmental impact like how can you, as, like, a business owner, like, actually bring something really creative to your community so that people, like, can have that here and don't need to seek somewhere else? But also then maybe, like, that brings other people here. So I think that's
0: yeah, cool. That's cool, man. Yeah. Honestly, thank you for coming on. Um, thank you for I appreciate that cereal. It was delicious. Um, also, I just, like, I just want to uh, give you, like, props, man. Like, I... I I could talk to you all day because I find it amazing that you're doing all this stuff at such a young age and I just hope you continue to pursue it and push yourself. I know you will. You don't need to listen to me talk about it but like it's it's just cool to see it happen and it's like it excites nice me to see such young people pushing for that stuff so I appreciate it.
2: Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate yeah. that. I'll see you guys around. Yeah, Licked me in keeping, keeping me in shape these two. That's yeah. cool, so. Alright,
0: thanks for tuning in guys. We appreciate it. Till next time.